HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Brianna Kurtz, host of Eat Your Words. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, and in this case, for young farmers turned computer programmers who are working in service of the young farmers movement to create open source software tools, usable, modifiable by all those with moderate proficiency in programming or those who are friendly enough and gregarious enough or generous enough to be working in partnership with such skilled programmer people. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi, Severin. Good. How are you? I'm very well. It's sunny and nice. Uh, I wanted to just give you straight away a chance to... This is Mike Stenta of Farmier. Um, is that the right pronunciation? Yeah, Farmier of Farmier.com. Yep. Um, and he's as farmy as you are, if not Farmier. And Farmier <laughs> is an open source... Uh, well, maybe you should introduce yourself a little bit. Sure, yeah. Um, so Farmier is, uh, well, I, I should probably start um, with the open source part. So I'm working on a, um, a Drupal distribution called Drupal Farm. And uh, for those unfamiliar, Drupal is a software platform for developing websites and web applications. And so I'm using that, which is an open source project, uh, to build on top features that are specific for, uh, for farmers, such as CSA management, record keeping, um, and some website management tools and things like that. So Drupal Farm is the open source project that I'm working on, and Farmier is a small business that I'm starting to hopefully support those development efforts um, by offering uh, that software as a service to people who don't want to go through the process of setting it up themselves. Um, will you tell us a little bit, how did you enter the world of farm open source software and um, what prepared you to understand and address the needs of beginning farmers? Yeah, sure. 
Um, so I've been doing website development um, kind of all along since uh, before college. Um, and then after college, I uh, uh, found myself um, on the West Coast, uh, and I was working for a farm out there on the Olympic Peninsula called Dharma Ridge Farm. Um, I spent the season there uh, as a farmhand, um, and during that time, you know, I was still doing a little bit of web work on the side, but it was mainly just small clients and small artists. And um, But I set up Dharma Ridge Farm with a website, using uh, not using Drupal at the time. Um, it was just a hard uh, hand-coded site. Uh, and then, um, so after that, I kind of found my way back to the East Coast, which is where I'm from, and I worked on another farm up in Maine, uh, called Snake Root Farm, and there I worked with uh, the farmer, his name is Tom, and he was also involved in a little bit of um, uh, website development, too, so we kind of had a similar interest and uh, discussed a lot of a lot of uh, cool stuff about how uh, these kind of technologies can really benefit farmers um, moving forward and how the, the open source movement in particular is uh, really paving the way for a lot of innovation. So then as uh, after that, um, I worked, my friend and I started a small farm in eastern Connecticut called Spring Lake Gardens, and that's when I really started to work on um, a farm platform based on Drupal. So I built a website for us there and started by building a couple of tools for managing our CSA. It was a small 50-member CSA to start, uh, and, yeah, it helped a lot. And from there, I've kind of been developing it and just growing it. And so now, more recently, I've been working on some record-keeping tools. And, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of ideas moving forward. And um, I'm interested in getting other people involved, too, if they find it useful. Wow. So I, I, it, I, there's a couple of things that I want to reiterate that you said. One of them is... You kept talking to people about what their needs were and looking at what solutions you could find available and noticing that they didn't quite exist and then feeling like the barrier to entry was not so high. Um, do you want to talk about what the, um, what the kind of options, quote-unquote, on the market are and um, why uh, more open-source tools are preferable over the long run? Sure, yeah. So there are definitely tools available um, right now uh, on the market. Um, there's various record-keeping tools and website management tools and things like that. And um, But there didn't seem to be any open-source projects out there, uh, or at least web-based, I should say. There's, you know, there's a lot of different types of software. Uh, I, I find myself in the camp of... Um, strongly believing that the, the web and the Internet is sort of where everything is headed, uh, if not there already. Um, so web-based tools would be anything that involves uh, essentially going to a website to, uh, you know, to perform your day-to-day your -day action. The benefits of that are that, you know, you can access it on a small computer, you can access it on your phone, um, so those kind of things. So there are, there are other... Uh, solutions available on the market right now, but there weren't any open source ones. And I had an interest in it and just decided to kind of pick it up and, and start moving from there. So right now, uh, the stuff that I've started, you know, doesn't have all of the same features as a lot of the proprietary solutions out there. 
it's still very early on, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited to develop it and to, to move forward. So I've been I've been undertaking the open source challenge on my own personal computing, um, just because I am, you know, interested in being a part of a new economy and corporate controlled telecom and centralizing powers of the large beasts of software are not in in in, the, in my interest over the long run or any of our interests and 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 of course in the farm world we're very tuned into the kind of monopoly practices at the top, really changing the landscape of what's possible at the bottom. So in solidarity and in understanding, um, I've been exploring those tools just in my own, you know, email and browser and operating system and moved over to Ubuntu and, um, and you know, it's different. It's not like, it's not like Google Docs, that's for sure. And I, I wanted to maybe have some of your philosophical or explanatory introduction for people who might be in a position similar to mine looking at how they can put their computing where their farming is, uh, what the dynamic of the open source software community is like and what the kind of like time lag is in terms of, or why is it that there's a time lag? Why is it um, just a little bit slower and a little bit uglier? Yeah, that's a great question. It's great to hear that you're kind of undertaking uh, using some open source software yourself. Um, yeah, so uh, for those maybe unfamiliar with the concept of open source, um, it's essentially an idea that by uh, by sharing plans for you know for anything from software to uh, real world real world um, devices and tools, by sharing the plans for those things with people freely. Uh, everyone benefits. And so, you know, right now we're kind of um, more familiar with uh, uh, the world of um, patents and uh, intellectual property and um, really, you know, a sort of an, econ an economy that's based on restrictions uh, of ideas. Um, and, you know, those, that has some use and there's reasons why we are where we are with that. Uh, but in the past, you know, decade or two, with the with the advent of the internet and um, the rise of computers and you know apps and all kinds of software and technology, um, there's been a lot of question about how how that's affecting progress and innovation, uh, and if if it's if it is actually helping or if it's hurting or holding us back in some ways. And I think the world of software is really where that's uh, it's really the forefront of that right now. But it's it's really it's becoming it's spilling out into real world things too, uh, in terms of um, uh, open hardware initiatives and uh, uh, just to speak I guess to bring back to what you asked about you know the difference between proprietary uh, versus open source and why it's always a little bit behind or a little bit dirtier. Um, I definitely agree. I think that that's true, and I think that that's a natural part of the process. Uh, but it's not necessarily always going to be the case, um, depending on the adoption of the of the projects and software. Uh, but it, you know, in general, the way things tend to work is that you have one company that um, has a budget for a product that they want to sell, so they'll put 
they will put directed resources into the research and development of this product so that they can then sell it on the market. Um, so that's where, you know, a lot of, a lot of things will originate uh, because there's money involved and it, um, it's in their interest. And then uh, open source, at least in terms of software and stuff, sort of starts to come out of that. And a lot of the times it comes out of user frustration with the proprietary options, uh, not being able to fix bugs themselves or not being able to make modifications or add new features. So, you know, if you're a programmer and you're using a proprietary software package and you find a bug or you find something wrong with it that you feel that you would be able to fix, you're unable to do so because the the source code, the actual code that runs the software is not available to you. You can't look at it. You can't analyze it. Uh, you can't track down the bug and, and suggest a fix. So that's really where open source sort of came out of is, is that need and that frustration. And, you know, also just the fact that people people want to create things. People want to work together, I think, uh, at the at the ground up, or at, at the very base, you know, people do share information. We've been doing this for, you know, thousands of years. So the, the proprietary software, I think, and the, you know, the really restricted uh, licensing and ideas is relatively new in the history of, of us as a species and as, as societies go and stuff. Uh, so, so, yeah, I'm excited, and I think that it, uh, while it is a little bit behind right now, we are seeing it catch up with a lot of the proprietary software packages. You mentioned Ubuntu. That's a, um, a Linux-based operating system uh, for anyone who, doesn't, who isn't familiar with it. Uh, so it is essentially the same thing as Microsoft Windows or Apple OS X, uh, but it's free. Uh, you can download it. You can look at any of the source code on it, and uh, it's it's been picking up a lot of theme recently. It's been around for, for many years, Linux in general, which is the base of it. Uh, but it's, uh, it's getting to the point now where people have been, enough people have been working on it and contributing to it that it has a life of its own. And it's, I think, uh, at the same place or better than some of the uh, proprietary ones. Um, so that's just one example. There's, there's a lot out there. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. How how I see that. Oh, I really appreciate your explaining all this because it's helpful for everyone listening, and it's helpful for me, and it sets us up for a very, um, very interesting next question, which is, um, as a student of the new economy um, and understanding the wage, you know, how are wages assigned, how are natural resources valued, how are commons enclosed, how do we kind of construct and and uh, and constrain what is valued in our in our economy. I um, I wonder and worry a little bit about the open source uh, technology community giving things away always for free, and that the, that our whole notion of open source, the kind of open source commons um, or whatever the Creative Commons, uh, is as a result that it will be free. We can just grab it and go. And there isn't really a very strong motivator to pay for it. And so as uh, from in the farm community, I, I think, well, if we want these tools to be better and we want to, you know, unhinge ourselves from the corporate 
technology companies. Maybe we could create some kinds of partnerships where these computer programmers can all come out and camp on our farms, and they can feel good and not be sucked off and paid nice wages by the corporate types, and they can work on these tools and make them nicer. Do you have yeah. any philosophical thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. So I think that I think that this is a you know a common um, uh, problem that people bring up with open source is that if you're giving something away for free, how can it possibly survive in a in a free market um, economy uh, or capitalist economy? Um, and you know I think it's it's important to realize that free software and uh, open source doesn't necessarily mean free as in price. Uh, you can sell. You can sell open source software. You can um, offer various business services for it, uh, such as um, support for people who are using it, uh, hosting. There are there are real tangible um, services that you can offer alongside open source, but still give away the plans to these things for free. So the goal then is to develop a community around these free plans. Uh, where everyone is kind of contributing back to to this core, to this uh, this system that we're all working on together to create, um, but there's still work involved. And if if you need a new feature or something, for example, um, and you can find a developer to to do it for you, you can you can pay that developer to write the feature and contribute it back to the project. And uh, that's how a lot of um, a lot of open source projects do develop. Uh, Drupal is is one that goes uh, along those lines quite a bit too, because uh, a lot of the uh, the websites that uh, run Drupal are business websites. Um, there's also a lot of nonprofits and stuff. So, you know, there there is a big difference between um, free as in price and free as in sort of liberty or the ability to take something and run with it and view it and make changes. Well, and in fact, so, FarmHack is, on, is running on Drupal, and um, we, as the FarmHack team, um, you know, evolve the, the features of that website and, and hope to you know, improve them uh, to, our, to our kind of specs as we learn what the users are wanting. And, you know, it's not going as fast as we always want, but it does happen. Um, but as an individual farmer trying to manage, you know, CSA and maybe using software tools like Farmigo or other tools that are um, where they take a percentage of your business, and for some farmers who are managing, you know, 100 or more CSA shares, that can start getting to be like $5,000 a year in technology fees. Um, I guess the question I have is if they have that $5,000, they've been spending on technology, and they'd like to customize the, the the service to their own needs, how would they go about finding a Drupal designer? And would you be that person, or, or what would be some of your advice and guidance for those who are pursuing this path, and for the rest of us to just understand kind of how it works? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, um, you know, for someone who's spending a lot of money on a service, uh, that takes a percentage like that, yeah, one potential option is to instead um, put that money into setting up their own service. Uh, Farmier is one example that you could you can download the code for yourself and set it up on your own server if you're if you're familiar with that or you you know can hire someone who is familiar with that. And Drupal and 
and, you know, the basis that Farmier is built on top of is a very widely used system. So there are lots of uh, developers out there and, um, you know, computer people who, who are familiar with it and who can set it up. Uh, so there is a lot of, by, you know, by leveraging this whole community that's developed around these software packages, uh, which are all free and open source, it is creating a whole new economy of of developers and of users who are who are becoming more familiar with uh, with these pieces of software. Um, so yeah, I mean, I see great potential in the in sort of the standardization of uh, of how we you know how we go about building these kinds of tools. Um, and Drupal Drupal I think is one of one example of that. So, um, as farmers, you know, people are, people are farming, so calling people in May and wanting to talk a lot or be on the computer a lot doesn't work. What are some of the rules right. or kind of cultural patterns and expectations of in the developer community? Like, how do you not alienate a programmer by training him like a puppet or something? And um, <laughs> what are kind of some of the fair expectations or... Uh, realistic expectations that people who are walking into this community um, as farmers with needs, what, how should they approach the other people and the community? And the word leverage is always a little bit intense because it feels like, well, there's a stick and there's a pivot. That's nice. That's okay. But it does feel a little aggressive. Hmm. Um, hmm. Can you explain a little bit the tone and the approach that you would suggest for this kind of partnership? Sure, yeah. And uh, maybe just to go back on um, just the word leverage, well, all I mean by that is uh, having this large community of people who are all working on similar projects for very different reasons kind of gives you a, uh, um, a lot to start with. So you're, uh, the phrase uh, that I've heard before is you're standing on the shoulders of giants. And the, those giants are all people like you um, who have who have contributed back to this project. Uh, and, you know, contributing back to these projects isn't just about being a programmer and developing these things. It's about being someone who, who uses it and, uh, and pushes it forward by suggesting features or reporting bugs or saying what it should or shouldn't do, uh, helping with the planning of it and the documentation of it and, and just using it and and finding, you know, finding where where it should go. So it has kind of a um, it can have kind of a Darwinian uh, development to it, where it will evolve over time based on the needs of everyone involved and everyone who's using it. <laughs> <laughs> 